you know, you want to know how your child is going to turn out and is how, gonna, how they're going to behave. You just, you just look at yourself, you know, in this Tolstoy short story, um, there's a little boy named Misha who is, um, has parents who are often fighting in front of him or often disagreeing in front of him. And uh, they, they basically um, um, treat the old grandmother in the house um, very, very poorly. They grumble about her being, you know, extremely um, annoying and slow and breaking things. One day they see little Misha, who's now, you know, like really young, um, young kid, and he's um, playing with some blocks. And they say, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a dish pan so that when you and um, and mother are the age of grandma, um, you'll you'll be able to eat out of the same dish pan you force her to eat out of. It's sort of like this, you know, amazing kind of um, wow. insight, you know. Welcome back to the Jews Next Door podcast, where each month we explore a different topic of our parenting hierarchy with the goal of raising the next generation of passionate and committed Jews. I'm your host, Rabbi Irman Shell, and for this month, we're going to be resuming our focus on building healthy children with the topic of emotional health. In order for us to be able to build healthy children, we as parents must help our children to be able to navigate the ups and downs of life. As parents, we must role model mental strength and show children how to face fears, how to teach them how to emotionally regulate themselves and, and, and so much more, how to socialize all these different things. Learn how to do this in this month where we will kick it off with our first episode with the basics episode with the Dr. David Pelkovitz, who is one of the most known psychologists in the Jewish world, who talks about how parents can take care of their own emotional health and what it means to raise an emotional health and obviously much more. In the practical episode, we're going to speak to the founder of Skills for Connection and the author of Bubble Double, Marion Campbell, who tells us about the tools that parents can use in order to help them self-regulate and help them to be able to navigate social situations and, and so much more. In the intervention episode, we speak about the internal family systems with Shira Fruchter, who is a therapist who specializes in, is in IFS and how we can use IFS internal family systems to be to help children who are struggling with their emotional health. And finally, for the last episode, a special topic on within this topic of emotional health, we discuss how parents can give their children the childhood that they didn't have through what's called post-traumatic parenting with Dr. Robin Kozowitz. Without further ado, enjoy the episode and enjoy the month. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure, pleasure and an honor to be here. It's great. Thank you. So let's 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 dive right back. Let's dive right in. How can how can parents take care of their emotional health before we even get into you know parenting their children to emotional health? But how can parents take care of their own emotional health as they transition to becoming a parent, either you know for the first time or as they have more children? Yeah, I'm I'm always struck by the finding that um, detailed knowledge of each other's life is um, a crucial buffer when husband and wife the new father and mother have that against the uh, stress of uh, parenting. Actually, um, very early in my career, 
I was asked to um, give a series of parenting talks to women who were expecting their first child. And to me, it didn't make any sense at the time. I was thinking like, wow, you know, it's... um, it's all going to be theoretical. Why not wait till they have the kid already? How could we do? And it turned out I was so wrong. You know, they really, they really connected in this um, very intense way. And um, it's always, it's always humbling to be proven wrong. But, um, you know, the studies, as I understand, just in terms of my direct experience, uh, no greater preparation than to get to know one another at an even deeper level as you have your children. Okay. And that applies both for the first and for when it's, you know, second, third, whatever it is. Yeah, look, I'm sure it I'm, I'm sure it changes with time. We get more and more relaxed, the more and more confident with time. Um, you know, I think the lesson that people often learn is is that our children aren't you know, made out of China, fine China. And uh, there's a lot of leeway for messing messing up, but there's always the concept of good enough parenting. What do you mean by that? So good enough parenting is this, that um, nobody expects you to be perfect. Good enough means that you're there, that you love, and that, um, you know, what's front and center in your mind is to want to, um, to, to want to give your child your full attention, but there's plenty of room for mess, me, messing up. Parenting can sometimes bring up, you know, unpleasant feelings for us. Like when, let's say a child is not listening, you know, or we feel unheard or, you know, especially if let's say as a child, we felt that we were unheard. So how can we address, you know, those wounds when they, when we, when a child is doing that to us and we, it brings up all those feelings, how, you know, before we even get to, you know, parent addressing the emotional health of their child, but sometimes, you know, first things first, the parent needs to, like you said, and into first things first, the the couple needs to get closer. So, what about within their own, you know, personal ones? Yeah. So, um, as concrete as this is going to sound, it's um, the key is um, the step back response, being able to just take a breath, you know, normal breath in, a slow breath out, and to um, not necessarily respond right away. Um, you know, strike when the iron is cold, not when the iron is hot. Right. When we do that, it, it it just buying that time makes all the difference. There's a brilliant um, insight in the Sefer HaChasidim, going back to the Middle Ages. Yeah. Three words, Achris Katata Harata. After argument, there's regret. Right. And to just work on that and work on the step back response and work on uh, not giving in to one's um, immediate um, uh, frustrations, you know, makes such a difference. I, I see that even very young, young kids, even infants, you can see how they respond to parents who are uh, fighting with each other all the time. Right. Would you, what would you say is the best way for a parent to practice that? Because for obviously just doing it and setting back, but is there, you know, a specific way to, to work on that? Well, yeah, I'm probably the most helpful way to work on it is to, um, is to figure out a way to, um, you know, make time to talk, make time to sit down and deconstruct some of the um, triggers that, um, you know, seem to lead to disagreement. Mm-hmm. That's normal. You know, it's, um, you know, um, 
you know, there's nothing quite as complex as the complexity of parenting different children, each of whom may have a totally different temperament and what works perfectly for one kid is exactly the wrong thing to do with another kid. And um, we just have to uh, be kind to ourselves and to each other. But what would you say is the reason that it's important for a parent to take care of the emotional health of, of a child, of their child? It's the foundation, you know. Um, it's amazing to me how um, when I see, you know, people um, in my practice or just in general, you know, in my life, you know, um, who have had a, um, a foundation that is not solid and not, you know, predictably loving and um, really being there in the best way that you can for your kids. It pervades a child's life all the way through. Doesn't mean it can't be, you know, uh, fixed. Why, why is that? Because it's, it's the building blocks, you know, it's, it's the building blocks. We see others um, in a way that um, is very much a reflection on what our reality has been growing up. And we tend to bring that into our day-to-day uh, living. Sure. So what, what does that mean to be an emotionally healthy child? What's, what exactly, you know, what's the definition of that? The simple definition would be a child who um, we would always tell our graduate students, work, love, and play. Meaning that work, in the case of a little kid, is a kid who's able to do the basics that are asked of him or her um, on a regular basis in school or socially, and in terms of being able to maintain friends. And also the ability to enjoy oneself, the ability to uh, just to do what kids do best, which is to um, just have fun. You know, that's a key building block. So, so a part of this is, is giving a child the social skills that they need. Mm -hmm. And so that, is that a job of the parents? Is that a job of in school? How does that? I would say it, it, it all starts with the parents. It has to be the social skills. It has to be the emotional regulation abilities, the ability to self-soothe. So how do parents help a child to, you know, well, both, well, both, both, those, both, you know, social skills and emotional regulation. If a, I mean, if a parent has the ability themselves to emotionally regulate, it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll know how to give that over to a child. So how would, how would, uh, how, I guess, how would you advise? Well, but, but again, it's all, it's all about modeling. Our kids, um, are extremely, um, um, prone to, um, model what they see, sometimes even unconsciously. Uh, there's this great Tolstoy short story that may be worth saying. Right, right, okay. But listen, listen, listen to this uh, short story. But basically the idea is, you know, you want to know how your child is going to turn out and is how, going to, how they're going to behave. You just, you just look at yourself, you know, in this Tolstoy short story, um, there's a little boy named Misha mm -hmm. who is, um, has parents who are often fighting in front of him or often disagreeing in front of him. Right. And, uh, they, they basically, um, um, treat the old grandmother in the house um, very, very poorly. Yeah. They grumble about her being, 
you know, extremely um, annoying and slow and breaking things. One day they see little Misha, who's now, you know, like really young, um, young kid. And he's um, playing with some blocks. And they say, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a dish pan so that when you and, um, and mother are the age of grandma, um, you'll, you'll be able to eat out of the same dish pan you force her to eat out of. It's sort of like this, you know, amazing kind of, um, insight, you know, it's, uh, you know, wow. well-known Russian folktale that has amazing wisdom in it. So, but, so, in okay, so in terms of emotional regulation, it's the modeling. What about social skills? I mean, like sometimes even in terms of modeling, you know, our child just needs the ability to, you know, facilitate conversation and know when to, when to input themselves, when to, how, how close to get to people, proximity wise, there's all those things that they don't necessarily, and some, some of them pick it up naturally, some don't. So what's, how's that, what's that? That's the ability to of a parent to give it over to a child. Yeah, I, I think people people um, get social skills, you know, largely from school, of course, and from what they see. But it's also, you know, um, when you see your parents interrupting each other, or you see your parents in some ways. Um, being um, just poor role models about, you know, how to, how to have turn-taking conversations and how to, um, how to be respectful of the perspective of others. That's, that's going to be very much the building blocks here. But other than modeling, I mean, you know, other than modeling, are there other components that help to a parent to raise an emotionally healthy child? So it's, it's a combination, not just the modeling, but also, um, how you handle anger, how you handle frustration, um, and your ability to believe in your kid. You know, um, there's a beautiful Rabbeinu Tzadok of Lublin. He says, Kashem Adam Lahamin Just like we have to, um, teach our children to believe in God. So too do we need to teach them to believe in themselves. God cares about us. We're not an insignificant being here one day and go on the next. So that's the you know that's that, that that's that's the core. So how, how does a parent get a child to believe in themselves, have, have self-confidence? I, I think by us believing in them, okay, was the first tefillah that we teach our kids. Mo da'ani lufanecha. So, same Rabbeinu Tzadok says, you know what mo da'ani lufanecha is really all about? Rabba um, emunasecha, that's the end of that tefillah, as much as your belief in us. You believe in us. And that's the key. In terms of a, a parent believing in the child. So sometimes, you know, a child, if the child, let's say, does have struggles, how does a parent overcome seeing the child as the struggles to be able to have that belief still? That way, the child is in belief in themselves and not, not losing faith in themselves. Right, right. So the, the, the key is, and it's not easy at all, is because there's sometimes that our kids are extremely annoying and extremely trying yeah. and have really tough kind of temperaments. But if in spite of that, we're able to still be patient 
and to be with them in a calm kind of way and to reflect back that we really believe in them. There's the well-known um, Pygmalion study where they find that um, they have a group of uh, children who um, are put into a fourth grade class, okay? And they're randomly assigned to two groups. One group, the kids are um, the teacher of the fourth grade, fourth graders is told you you really lucked out. You have the gift of class this year. Mm. You have these unbelievable kids. Mm. Another group in this well-known study, um, they're told, you know, the, 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 the kids are just average. Mm. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you believe in a kid, they often will rise to, you know, to meet your expectations, both positive and negative story I often talk about or example I often talk about is Clever Hans, which I think is uh, an amazingly powerful uh, example. There was a horse in Germany in the late 1800s that was a genius in math. You could, a you could ask this horse any math problem whatsoever. He asks the question, it'll tap out the answer. The answer is 415. It'll tap out 415 and stop. If the answer is five, tap out five and stop. Clever Hans never got it wrong. And people heard about this genius horse in math and came to visit the farm in a way that the farmer couldn't even do his farming. Okay. His farm was over, over, um, ridden with people coming to see this genius horse. And they, have a psychologist at the time who they say, um, please help us figure out what's going on here because, um, you know, we know that there's no, that this has nothing to do with our understanding of human intelligence versus animal intelligence. Animals shouldn't be able to do it. And the psychologist figured it out in a very basic way. He took a screen and he put it between him and the genius horse. And once the horse couldn't see him, the horse got no questions right. Because what was Hans a genius at? At reading nonverbal cues. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the nonverbal so non cues, well, you know, if the answer was 25, at 25, the um, pupils of the questioner would would um, widen a little bit. His or her breathing pattern would shift subtly. Skin color would shift. And kids are really good at picking up on those subtleties. Wow. 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 So, and, and back to parents in terms of, you know, what, when you have like those trying children, so how, how, how should a parent overcome, you know, be able to really like see past that to still retain that faith? Yeah. So it's, it, it, it's, you know, I put it on different channels, mm -hmm. on the cognitive channels. How do you speak to yourself? What do you say to yourself to say, look, you know, this is just what um, a five-year-old kid does for a living. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. And you just, you know, you tell yourself this is a, totally normal and um, that's fine. On the behavioral channel, we um, try our hardest not to lose it, you know, not to... Uh, go to some kind of um, yelling and screaming or criticism, high levels of um, expressed emotion, okay, where, where parents yell, scream, and criticize are always 
poison for kids. In what ways would you say that the emotional health of a child affects their, their religious development? I mean, I know we said it's the foundation, but in, in what ways does it, does it come out in terms of that? Yeah. So they are very much so. Um, the Bain Adam L'Chavero um, is inextricably intertwined with the Bain Adam L'Mako. The two are totally, um, totally integrated and mixed together. Why, why is that? Because um, the Bain Adam L'Chavero is, is basically, if you're feeling good about, um, about yourself, and, and, and your social interactions and your parents and your friends and your community and your school. Okay. You're going to, you're, you're also the same, that same connection is also going to be Vinadam Lamakam. Okay. So it's, it's, uh, you know, um, they're, they're very much tied together. Yeah. And, and in terms of, you know, their, their, uh, the, as a child is developing, you know, as, as they go through these different stages of development. So in what ways does a child's, you know, emotional health, I guess, change? You know, obviously as a child or as a teen enters into, you know, puberty and all the, a lot of different things are going on with the same puberty, you know, the, you know, they, 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 they go through their turbulent times. So what, you know, what, what other changes are there for parents to be aware of as, as they go through the, the different developmental stages? Yeah. So, you know, so adolescence is a time that, um, it's always helpful to tell ourselves that, you know, it's a stage of a temporary insanity. Mm-hmm. Um, not only are hormones, um, you know, going awry, um, there's, um, um, everything is felt more intensely in adolescence. You sort of forget, you look at all the coming of age movies, um, are often about, um, about teens and their, their coming of age, you know? Um, and I think that that's, um, uh, there's a reason why we remember that time of our life so intensely. Um, it's, uh, because hormonal, yeah. it's also the part of our brain that's involved in impulse control goes offline for a little while. Specifically at adolescence, you're saying? At adolescence. Yeah. In adolescence, there's a, um, a, rewiring, a rewiring of our neural architecture mm-hmm. in a way that is um, pretty, um, pretty um, dysregulating. Yeah. It's just what, the, what they do. And if parents can see that, it's not necessarily a sign of, um, you know, oh my God, this kid is, uh, this kid's a disaster. Um, you know, and recognize that, um, you know, they, they'll, they'll grow out of it. You know, as long as you give them, you know, everything we've been talking about, you know, the love and the belief in them and not getting pulled in too much in, um, you know, uh, unnecessary kind of power struggles, the average kid will, will turn out okay. I want to be, you know, keep that, that well-lighted approach for that. Yeah, which is, which is hard, but it's also doable. It's uh, totally, totally doable. I once heard, once heard a great mind that we often think that when we look at adolescents as teens, that they're, you know, finished product. 
but the 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 it's a continuous film. They just they keep going, and they're not even close to that. Yeah, we just we have to think of it that way. We have to change our perspective on it. When I ask audiences who I'm giving a talk to on adolescence, um, how many of you did things when you were teenagers that your parents never even knew about, and you always have this guilty smile on everybody's face. And um, our parents often, you know, don't know, but we have to just remember what it was like for us. You know, it's very helpful to do some time travel, you know. And in terms of, you know, the the developmental stages, are there any things that happen, let's say, with a toddler or a young child that affects their emotional health, let's say, in a more permanent way? Are there other things that do that? Yeah, so trauma. um, Trauma, it could be, um, you know... um, being in a terrible accident or in a fire or, um, you know, traumatic loss. Um, it turns out that, um, preschoolers, um, are particularly affected by trauma. So, um, I was involved, um, at some point in my career at doing the, uh, the DSM, post-traumatic stress disorder field trials. One of the questions that our the team asked was, when's the worst time in life to be uh, traumatized? And it turned out that it was um, much to our surprise. It was during the preschool years because they get it wrong and they blame themselves and, and you know, they have magical thinking and uh, they just don't get it. And parents don't necessarily realize it. And other times adolescence, because during adolescence, we need to feel uh, totally invulnerable. I had a lot of friends who told me that post-COVID, their, their children who were in, you know, in daycare, they, you know, since they were in the house for COVID and they, you know, they, they got so traumatized from that, that they like couldn't go, it couldn't go anywhere. Like their, 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 day, their daycare child that's, Whenever they would want to go, let's say even just somewhere fun, you know, like a turkey cheese or whatever, their child like would, would freeze up. Like we don't go out of the house. We don't do that. And it was like, like they really got traumatized by that. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and which is really, really um, surprising. And when you look at some of the empirical research on, um, you know, what COVID did to child development, much more, um, much more severe and longer lasting, but... I also am a big believer in resilience. You know, kids are bouncing back. And especially in our community where kids are surrounded with a lot of our gifted educators and, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me that that it took such an effect because I assumed, oh, well, children are going to bounce back. But it took like a real, took some time. But I mean, I think, you know, for the most part, I think it seems like most most of the children are more or less, you know, bouncing back. But it's, uh, it's interesting. And in, in terms of gender, does how, how does gender play a role on a, on a child's emotional health? Meaning the differences between you know, boys and girls? Yeah. Um, so, for example, trauma is a good example. Um, when traumatic events happen, girls are more directly impacted than boys. Not saying that you know boys all do well, but girls are particularly impacted. Why? Why is that? Um, there's um, s- something about. Um, that kind of gender difference in terms of wiring, in terms of, um, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's uh, we should be looking at social media and what social media does uh, has particular impact on girls. Uh, but in general, um, depression and anxiety are more common in, in, in girls. And I, you, know, you just mentioned social media. How does social media play a role? And, and I mean, I know, you know, there's these studies that came out in terms of like Instagram 
about how like it's like so targeted, especially at girls, to get them to think a certain way about themselves. How can a parent in this social media ridden world that we're in manage a child's emotional? Yeah, I think it's essential to um, regularly sit down with your with your kid and, uh, you know, talk to them about it. You know, um, you, we have to respect their privacy, but we also have to have it understood by them that they're not necessarily in an age where you can um, um, allow them with such an incredibly powerful um, c- cultural and psychological shaping force without you're, you're keeping an eye on them. And then with time, they could earn your trust in these areas. What did that conversation look like? Uh, basically to just sit with your kid and say, look, you know, um, I need to know your, um, I need to know your password. I need you to know that, um, I'm going to talk to you about, um, what's going on with you, you know, especially if there's something that's really, um, particularly upsetting to you. Um, I, you know, I, I want to know about it. If there was anything you could come to me with that it will lead in any way to a loss of, of my love for you or whatever. But I, you just need to know that I'm, I'm here to protect you and be there for you. And in terms of, you know, when a child, let's say, is going through a, a rough patch and an emotion, you know, if, in terms of their emotional health, how can a parent, you know, best support them through that time? Or, you know, I'm sure in, in your, from your best experience, you know, different people coming to you or, or dealing when, you know, when, when there's a, when there is a trauma in a school or different things, what's the, what's the course of action in terms of that? Yeah. So number one is, um, is presence is to really be there. Um, I often quote something I learned from Motion Speed Weinberg here at YU, um, that he, he quoted the Piazesner who quoted the Balshemtov who said that when we say in Shema a number of times every day, the Avadatem Mehera, one of the ways of thinking about that is get rid of the rush in your life. Okay? Just be present. You have to be present. You have to remind yourself to focus. And it's hard to do that because we're living in a world where we're constantly being fragmented. Another, the other four-word tefillah, that goes back over the millennia is um, um, Hashem Yatsileni Mipizur Hanefesh, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar said, God save me from the fragmentation of my soul that comes from me constantly uh, checking on our devices. But, you know, back then it was about um, pressure at work, pressure with, um, even then people, you know, were managing their businesses. But um, boy, is that on steroids today. Yeah. So first things first is presence. After that? it's uh, So it's presence. It's um, the ability to um, really um, spend time, undiluted time with your kid. So they know, they know, they know when you're there, they know when you're not there. They're one of the most famous experiments um, in recent years is called the still face experiment. Um, it's been replicated all, all over many times by Dr. Tronic at Harvard. And what he does is, is he shows um, um, a mother and a six month old infant interacting. You know, and the mother is really there and is warm and, 
you know, doing, doing her thing and the baby is being responsive. Then for two minutes, only two minutes, she presents a still face. The mother presents a still face to her infant. She doesn't, um, she doesn't respond at all. Yeah. So the baby calls to her, goes, you know, the way babies that age call. The baby smiles. The baby tries to do everything he or she possibly can to get the parent's attention. And, and, and after a while, the saddest thing is the baby, first of all, starts crying hysterically and then ultimately gives up. Yeah. Which is one of the saddest things. Uh, yeah, it's it's tied it's tied to tied to learned helplessness, but also just tied to um, how we have to remember that um, that that's what's shaping our kid's soul. You know. Wow! 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 Right, and you know it, when you're when you've been brought in, let's say to a school in the past or to an institution to talk about, you know, what's the first thing that you would like to do to uh, let's say to Talk about a trial that happened, uh, you know, if there was a, a death in a school or, you know, some, some major tragedy, what's the best way that you would talk to a child that maybe that where parents can try to you know, mimic what you, what you've done? Yeah. So, um, you know, we have, we have materials, um, and actually though, you has some amazing materials, um, high lifeline and OHEL have, um, amazing materials. And um, it's basically the main point that's usually given is um, you you have to A, be present for the child. B, you have to set things up so that you tolerate uh, the child's regression, including maybe even needing to sleep with you, even in adolescence, yeah. for, for, uh, for a bit of time. Wow. And you tolerate all kinds of regression because that's what kids do when this happens. And then you um, gradually negotiate with them on how to get back to normal. The main point we also make is has a lot to do with proximity. So if you think about a um, pebble being thrown into a pond of water, there's concentric circles around the point of impact. The point of impact that's closest to the pebble are the people we have to spend the most time paying attention to. So those are the kids that need that need help. You know, uh, they may very well need to be evaluated. They may need to be um, possibly, um, you know, working with um, the school psychologists and um, you know community experts. Um, and we're blessed with amazing experts out there. Um, but um, you know, the good news is is that resilience is the norm. You know, if we could give kids. Um, you know, the stability of knowing that we're there for them and normalizing their response, that makes, that makes all the difference in the world. One of the things like you were just saying, like making sure that our children know that we're there for them. How does, how can parents, which I feel like is very tied to this concept of emotional health, how can they create this atmosphere where children feel not just that they're there for them, but feel, I really can come and talk to you about AIDS. How can, how can ads realistically set up that type of environment? Well, I think, if, first of all, it's just to say it, you know, to just tell them that there's nothing that you're going through now that, um, that you can come to me with that will lead to my in any way 
uh, losing the relationship that we have. I'll be so proud of you that you've come to me, um, but I'll also and to to model for them the you know the the fact that um, um, you know even if they do something that you totally disapprove of, um, that you're going to do whatever it takes to protect them. And at the same time, whatever it takes to, uh, you know, to, 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 to be there for them at their side. You know, as we, as we ramp up, are there any things that within this topic of you're raising a child with emotional health that parents wouldn't think to ask about? Yeah, I think parents often um, underestimate the um, toll it takes on a child when we disagree a lot. Mm. Or when we're, you know, um, you know, fighting, they often feel that kids don't even see it or they don't hear it. Um, and that's that's pretty common. Um, and we just have to constantly remind ourselves, of course, we're going to lose this sometimes. We also have to remember that um, kids are always um, are always watching. That's one point. The other is we don't have to t treat our kids equally. Kutzker said there's nothing as unequal as the equal treatment of a child. Mm -hmm. Each child we have to raise and, and be there for them in a way that um, really recognizes um, that, um, you know, each one is, um, you know, many have said has their own unique tune, their own unique neshama. And uh, that's part of the beauty of um, the beauty of our uh, kids. When we bench our children on Friday night, for those of us who have that beautiful minhug, you'll notice that you relate to them in a completely different way based on our own unique relationship with them. I heard this from Rabbi Brafman, uh, at a conference for kids who had left our way of life. And he noticed, and after that I saw it, you know, when I, when I give a bracha, even though they're adults now, to my oldest son, you know, his um, his sense of humor comes out. And when I bench my oldest daughter, her chain comes out. And then the next kid is kind of cuddly. And the next kid is, um, you know, we have, um, you know, we, 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 we have other things that capture the uniqueness of who they are. And that's, I think, one of the best protections for our children. Wow, wow. amazing. Thank you so much. This was uh, really so insightful. So much, so much wisdom here and uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you for the wonderful work you're doing. It's great. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Jews Next Door. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. I'd love to hear your takeaways. Reach out to us. Reach out to me at yair at jenoff.org. Hi at jenoff.org. You can check us out on the website. You could leave a question there. We'd love to be in touch. Please be in touch. Check us out on Instagram at Parenting the Jews Next Door. Hit me up on Twitter at yeah, Manchel. And we got, we're on TikTok now too. We have some great content, a lot of really great insights into parenting, tips, parenting pointers, reaction videos, and quotes. We have a lot going on. We have a lot of articles. You want to check it out. Check it out at jenoff.org. You won't be sorry you did. And I look forward to hearing from you. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, make sure you subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Looking forward to another great episode next week.